This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. If you are an artist, chances are that you want to be in a location where there is already an established art community so that you can draw attention to your work or have various locations to show it off. That means probably living in some of the major metro areas of this country, but it also means dealing with the insane rise in rents that all people who want to live or own a business are dealing with. But popping up now are spaces where artists can create, but do so without killing their bank accounts. Andy Davenport is co-founder of Minnesota's Street Project, one such idea, and Rappaport, I apologize. And Anita Durst is founder uh, and artistic director of Chashab, Ch- excuse me, Chashama. And they join us on the phone right now to discuss what they are doing. Andy, Anita, great to have you with us today. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Anita, with your idea, Chashama, how did he get started? Uh, I worked with uh, Reza Abdo. He was a avant-garde theater director, and he taught me about the power of creativity. And when he died of AIDS in 97, I wanted other people to feel that power of creativity that he taught me. And he would also, the way he would get theater spaces for his theater shows was he would get people to donate space to him. And so I took that model of getting property owners to donate space uh, and used it instead of for my own work, but for other people's work as well. And so these locations are, are in and around New York and, and from what I read over in New Jersey as well? Yes. Uh, we have about uh, 23 locations at the moment, and they are donated to us on a month-to-month letter of agreement, even though some spaces we've had for over 12 years. So what's the reaction of these artists when you're able to work with them and obviously provide something that, that, that helps them out immeasurably? Uh, the artists are very grateful. They are so thankful because we're able to give it to them at a very reduced rate or for free. So for workspace, it's about a dollar a square foot. Mm. And for all our presentations, uh, the artists get the space for free. We have about 150 shows we do a year. Andy, uh, Minnesota Street Project, how did that get started? Well, it uh, got started as a response to the extremely rapid rise in uh, rents and property values in San Francisco that accompanied the most recent tech boom. And my wife and I are avid art collectors and have been around the arts uh, community in San Francisco for quite some time. And we were seeing our friends uh, who are artists and gallerists and non people that, that work and run nonprofits really rethinking whether they could afford to stay in the Bay Area. And we're, we're all, you know, contemplating leaving the Bay Area or uh, giving up their practices or, or their work or, 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 you know, what's been keeping them going. And we realized somebody needed to step in and do something. And so what we recognized was that um, whereas most of the real estate that had been used by artists and arts organizations in San Francisco could be repurposed to tech offices or, in some cases, housing, which was driving values up uh, three, four, five, in some cases, ten times what artists have been paying. There is uh, industrial real estate in San Francisco that uh, can't be used for Class A offices and uh, can't at least now be converted into residential uses. But the problem is that those facilities are not configured to be very useful or very safe for artists and arts organizations. And so what we uh, decided to do was acquire 
some of those properties and basically use our balance sheet to convert them to safe, productive, uh, habitable workspaces and commercial uh, 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 gallery spaces and offer those at rents that would allow us to break even operationally uh, but not make the returns that uh, you know real estate developers typically make in the city and that allows us to charge rents that are you know anywhere between 20 to maybe 30 percent of uh, of market and obviously in San Francisco as you alluded to right now uh, that's been one of the areas when you think residential uh, but you mentioned as well uh, in in the business sector how the the, the cost of, of real estate in that town has skyrocketed in the last few years well, that's that's exactly right. And you know, if you look at the at, at the, the rental market for artist studios, for example, I mean, if you think about the typical artist studio, it's a space where you know one or maybe two people work, and uh, you know, you, you want as much space as possible and relatively few people, uh, which is exactly the opposite of tech offices. Tech offices, there are a lot of very expensive people who occupy very little space. So, you know, I was a tech investor for decades. And when you look at the amount of money that tech companies can afford to pay for space, given the fact that they need relatively little per high-priced employee, there's just no way that, uh, you know, (laughs) essentially anyone but a tech company or the or the commercial entities that serve them can afford to compete for space. And, and the money, I read that the money that you do get in rent, uh, you and your wife, uh, who co-founded this, you're putting it back into the art community as well? That's right. We sent, you know, one, one of the problems that we needed to address was not only how do we provide space that'll work immediately for artists and arts organizations, but how can we build something that is provably sustainable so that people who are making decisions, should I stay in the Bay Area, can I commit to raising my family here, can decide, yes, I can afford to stay here for 5, 10, 15 years and and, and kind of recommit to the area. So in order to uh, in order to accomplish that, we had to create a model that was financially self-sustaining. So we set our operation up as a for-profit, yeah. and that for-profit um, uh, has an umbrella that covers not only the subsidized rental spaces that we provide, but also some positive cash flow aspects of the overall operation that um, bring the whole thing into financial balance so that it's basically a self-sustaining, self-operating financial vehicle uh, that uh, you know that can can go on forever. I, Anita, I find it interesting with with you being in and around the New York area that uh, you know if you probably go back twenty to thirty years, uh, obviously and maybe even you have to go back a little farther. Uh, the focus of probably a lot of things business related was right around Manhattan, and, and maybe not necessarily as much the other boroughs of New York or going into New Jersey. That's not necessarily the case anymore with the growth that we've seen of those other locations in and around Manhattan Island. Yes, it's quite amazing to see the growth and the changes. I mean, even the spaces in Manhattan, like the meat market, the meatpacking district was not very desirable 20 years ago, and now it is one of the higher-priced neighborhoods in Manhattan, as well as Brooklyn, and the Bronx is now becoming up-and-coming as well. What advice do you give to, to young artists as they are starting to, to move forward with this process, Anita? Because it's got it's got to be a challenge for many of them. Uh, you know, they're thinking about their artwork. They're not necessarily thinking about some of the business elements that that are involved in in a lot of this process. Yes, the the business 
aspect for the artist is uh, what I tell them to start thinking about because they are not thinking about those things very much and they are focused on their creative process. And for them, I believe in schools, they don't, they're not taught about the business aspect of art. And so we try to give them workshops where they're able to, to learn more about writing the artist statement and learning how to do contracts and things like that. Andy, so are, yes? Andy, similar to what you see out there in San Francisco? Well, sure. You know, most people don't realize that, you know, artists are running small businesses and that uh, for them to survive, they need to be supported and skilled in a very wide range of of things. And so, you know, one of the things that, that we tried to do when we built our project was to create a kind of self-supporting community. And, you know, we did this partly in response to a, a, a real estate-related phenomenon, which is that the community was sort of atomizing all over the city. People were just grabbing space where they could find it. Right. But, the you know, one effect of that was that it was hard to find the arts in San Francisco, but another effect was that artists and, and the entities that support them weren't cohabitating and weren't able to see each other and support one another. So one of the things that we've done is, you know, we've got 120,000 square feet of space over a block and a half completely occupied by by people and entities who are in the arts. And what we're finding, I mean, way beyond what we ever imagined, is that they've really formed this kind of self-organizing community where they're mm -hmm. supporting one another. And we have young artists who are learning from the successes and mistakes of, of more experienced artists in the program. And, and it's it's been a wonderful thing to watch. And Nita, have you seen that as well with, with what you've yes, done in terms absolutely. of artists yes, communicating? Yes. Yes. Uh, when you create a space and you put a group of artists to there together, they form uh, networks and they help each other and introduce each other to their own networks and share ideas. And they're very supportive and the community is very deep when you put a group of artists together. I have seen a couple different times that happen in our spaces. Your family has a, a, a quite a, a long tradition in the New York City real estate market, uh, and, and there's an element of, of your family in this project when you were getting started. Take us into that a little bit. Yes, my family, uh, they are real estate developers in New York City, and they would I would see that they would have an empty building, and I would ask if I could use it. Um, and at uh, uh, one point we had about six buildings on 42nd Street, which is now the Bank of America Tower. And, right. And, um, and then when we had to leave, I realized that we would go and ask other property owners for space. And it is much easier than you would think to get space in New York. Um, the spaces that come to us are mostly from word of the mouth. Uh, property owners contact us, and then we go and utilize these spaces. So, we actually have too many property owners asking us to use space <laughs> at the moment. So you've built, you've developed almost a little community yourself with all of this. Yes. Um, yeah, we have an influx of spaces at the moment. So uh, how long are, when you're signing contracts with these, with these uh, people that own real estate, how long out are you signing these contracts for, for these properties? So our, it's a letter of agreement, and our letter of agreement, we ask for three months. And then we go month to month. Uh, so it is uh, open-ended. And we've had some spaces for up to 12 years. 
and the response you mentioned of the uh, of the property owners has been very positive uh, in most cases. What is the the reaction that that you get from them most often in terms of when you're bringing the idea of saying we'd like to have this this space as a potential space for artists to do, to do their work? Uh, they're very positive. When you have an empty space, it causes a negative energy. But when you have something there, it causes a positive energy. It beautifies the neighborhood. It increases traffic. It increases economic growth within the neighborhood. And the property owner sees that. And seemingly, as you said, with the numbers of, of property owners coming to you, there is a, a uh, there is the ability to fill up a lot of space if necessary, correct? Yes, yes. There is the ability to do that. Uh, we have a long list of artists, and we are becoming to get a, a long list of properties as well. We are joined uh, by Anita Durst, who is founder and artistic director of Chashama, and also by uh, Andy Rappaport, who is co-founder of the Minnesota Street Project. We're talking about the business of art and uh, creating affordable spaces, studio spaces for artists. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get to your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Andy, in looking at, at your background, uh, I was reading your uh, venture capitalist by profession. How, how much has that kind of played into developing the this property, at least at the outset, and what you may want to do going forward in the future if you want to build beyond the, 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 the project that you have right now? Well, it gave us the means to do this in the first place. Uh, you know, the the uh, intent uh, uh, through which we, we launched this project was, uh, you know, really to give something back to a community that's been very, very good to us beyond, uh, beyond any of our expectations. But the second thing is it trained me to take risks and uh, to bet on ideas that um, often are not uh, yet in the mainstream but could be. And so, you know, the, the, the real... <laughs> There, there, you know, we, we've been asked many times, you know, well, how, how come you did this? How come it was you who did this? Right. And, you know, weren't there other people who wanted to do similar things? And, you know, the, the interesting thing is now there are, now that we've shown that uh, the model that we've embraced can work and that there are some terrific civic benefits to it. Um, but when we started out, it was a totally crazy idea. Uh, so if you think about, you know, what I learned as a venture capitalist is sometimes, you know, what looks like a crazy idea today can be, uh, you know, absolutely mainstream and embraced by everyone tomorrow. Uh, and so my training as a venture capitalist, and frankly, Deborah's training as the spouse of a venture capitalist, yeah. uh, you know, really uh, encouraged us to embrace risk as opposed to shy away from it. So with your uh, Minnesota Street Project, how often are you doing showings of these artists uh, in your facility there? Well, uh, interesting question. So uh, we have several different aspects to our program. One is a studios building, which is uh, houses 40 artists, plus uh, is used by a number of other artists who come in and use our facilities. That building is generally closed to the public, but it's across the street from a building that we um, uh, refurbished that houses 10 commercial art galleries and arts-related nonprofits, several rotating spaces, et cetera. And while there's no formal relationship between the artists and the artist studio and the galleries and rotating spaces in the gallery building, um, there's a huge amount of cross-fertilization. Some of the artists in the studio's building are represented by 
the galleries uh, in in the galleries building, some of the artists in the studios building have been curated into shows that have gone into our rotating spaces. Some of those artists have created shows that have gone into our rotating spaces. We've rented those rotating spaces to galleries who represent some of our other artists. And so uh, so there's been, as I said, terrific cross-fertilization. We're about to have the first open studios in the, um, uh, in the studios building. That'll happen in October, and that's something which was, is being done uh, and organized completely by the artists in that building. They decided what they wanted to do, that they wanted to do it, and, and how, they're, uh, how they're going to do it. Anita, how does that play out with you in New York City? Uh, we're about to have our open studios as well, but we've had many before. Um, it's going to be on October 15th and 16th. Um, and the way that we've done it is with Open House New York, and that is something where people can go around to buildings that are usually closed in New York, and we happen to be at the Brooklyn Army Terminal, where uh, many people came. Last year we had about uh, 1,500 people who came through the studios. I find it interesting, Andy, that, I mean, we are at a time with some of the, the, the real estate development in this country where these spaces that were, you know, if you went back 60, 70 years, they were very important components to uh, an individual city's uh, economy, whether they be old Navy yards, whatever they may be. They may have been dormant for quite some time, but a lot of these properties that have been sitting there for, you know, 30, 40 years are finding great use now because of just kind of the mindset of a a lot of people like yourself, like Anita, and a variety of different business elements. That that's right. But the challenge in San Francisco, um, we we in San Francisco and the San Francisco city government are very well aware of this challenge. The challenge is making it sustainable. Um, the pressure for development, especially in a city like San Francisco, that can't really sprawl like New York or Los Angeles or Berlin or other other major cities. The pressure for for uh, development, especially housing development, especially Class A office development, is really extraordinary. And so the challenge in San Francisco is how do we do things like we're doing and other folks are doing and grabbing hold of real estate that can be repurposed, but do it in a way that's innately sustainable, that um, you know can resist the relentless pressure for you know other forms of development. And you know this is something where uh, property owners and and other stakeholders in the city in San Francisco are working uh, uh, collaboratively to try to, to figure it out. I'm not yet 100% certain that it's been figured out. Right. But, you know, what what we and others are doing, I, we hope, is a step on that path. Anita, is that similar or different to what you see in New York? Well, I think, you know, I think across the country you see a lot of the big box stores are – and all there's a lot of retail space that's available in most cities and in most um, – uh, towns right now. And I believe that what we're doing is we're trying to step in and utilize those unused spaces temporarily while we are figuring out how to get the mom and pop shops back into those spaces. Great. Um, Go ahead. Yeah. Finish up. I'm sorry. No, uh, it was just uh, to, 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 because there, there seems to be this this, all these empty spaces and, and trying to figure out how to utilize these spaces. I want to thank you both for coming on today. It's great information. It's great things that you're doing. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Anita. All the best to you both. 
Thank, Thank you, you very, very much. much. Thank you. Andy Rappaport, a co-founder of the Minnesota Pre- Street Project, and also Anita Durst, who is founder and artistic direct, or director of Chishama. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.